to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 2. We're going to be, I, I told you this is going to be our last week in John, also going in to chapter 3 and biting off a huge chunk of chapter 3 today. But uh, what we're seeing in John show up time and time again as we're going through the Bible is that Jesus gets in these discussions with people where the statements he make, makes creates these ironic misunderstandings with people. But he uses it as a teaching strategy, and you're going to see that today. And so there are, uh, there's, there's spurred confusion based off of the words of Jesus. And what we're going to read today is they're going to have a really hard time grasping. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I've had several jobs where I've had to go through training. Anyone enjoy training? Training is a wonderful thing, especially if you're going into an office setting and you're learning new computer systems and you're sitting down and they're explaining every facet of that system, which is different than all 500 other places you ever worked. And you're like, I, I, I don't understand. Why don't you get guys just all get on the same page and do the same thing? But that would be that would be too impossible. And so I will, in training, I will be asking lots of questions. And some of these questions that I ask, someone might deem as maybe dumb. But my goal in every question that I ask is, I want to vet every possible scenario of what might occur so that I can be prepared and ready and have an answer. And my approach in always asking these questions, I've found that every job I've ever had, I excelled quickly, I was promoted quickly, and, and I was the guy who had all the answers. Well, it's because I asked all the questions. And um, when it comes to Christ with people he's dealing with, particularly mankind, the, the one thing that we have going against us when Jesus speaks we have limited understanding. You know, I was sitting down, and I'm learning this new computer system in a, in a new corporate setting, and I have limited understanding of what that does, and I need to be brought up to speed quickly. The people that Jesus is talking to today, they don't understand his ways. They don't understand his thoughts. They're trying to get on board. They're trying to see. The other issues Jesus is dealing with as he talks to people is that we're pretty fickle. So Jesus today in our reading, he's dealing with fickle hearts, and there's a discussion that he starts to have with this man, Nicodemus, and he tries to start explaining belief. So if you would, turn into John chapter 2. We're going to be starting in verse 23 and going through chapter 3, 21. So there's a lot of scripture we're going to read here. But let's begin. John chapter 2. Verse 23 through 321, it says, Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem, at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. I want you to think about that verse, okay? Think about that verse as we continue going. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. Who, who hears Jesus on that, right? No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. 
Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his only, one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light, so others can see what they are doing, that they are doing what God wants. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. God, stir up inside this church a spirit of, of belief in knowing exactly who your son Jesus Christ is. And God, as we wrestle with this thought of belief today, I pray that God, the light bulb will come on for many who have maybe believed because of a miraculous sign, but Lord, their heart just wasn't following you. I pray that that stirs something inside them this morning. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So today what I want to do is I want to I unpack this scripture for you. And there's a lot there. And if I tried to cover it all, well, that'd be a series within itself. So today what I want to speak to you about is three truths of belief. Three truths of belief. I don't know if you have wrestled with believing in who Jesus is or just believing in something. I know there are people out there that they choose not to believe or trust in anything. But I want to take faith. Using this mic today. Because I don't want to be frustrated. Jesus, the first truth is Jesus knows your heart. Jesus knows your heart. See, 
It says right here, many began to trust him, but he didn't trust them. He didn't trust in, in, in their heart because here they are. They see this miraculous sign that he's performing at this wedding. And, and they're like, well, we're going to follow this guy because he's got something going on that we want to be a part of. And let's be clear. This isn't a, just a statement on certain people Jesus met where he decided he didn't trust them. He doesn't trust humanity. Okay? He doesn't trust humanity. So, for instance, have you ever met someone and just based off first impressions, you decided whether or not you can trust them? You guys know what I'm talking about? Jesus is like, no, I don't, I don't trust humankind. I don't trust humankind. Jesus didn't trust them based off of his knowledge of humanity. And it says that he knew human nature. Now, human nature in Scripture has taught us that no matter how great or miraculous the work of God is, see, the children of Israel, they still demanded a golden calf that they could worship because Moses was taken too long up on the mountain. They had seen God show up by dividing the Red Sea, splitting it right in half. He, God showed up in a pillar of fire. God showed up in a cloud of smoke. We talked about that last week. And yet, they had seen all these miraculous works of God, yet they were still crying out for a golden calf once Moses was gone too long on the mountain with God. I want to read that for you. Exodus chapter 32, I'm going to read verses 1 and 4. Two verses there. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, listen to this. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The audacity of the human heart. Again, I, I, I don't want to reiterate myself, but these guys, they saw some of the greatest miracles God has ever performed, and yet they were so wayward in their approach to God. And we wonder why Jesus is skeptical of people. Believing in a miracle is not the same as believing in the saving work of Jesus Christ. And the key for us is to understand that miracles, they're going to have a physical impact on you. But the saving work of Jesus Christ has a spiritual impact that changes you from the inside. So I think it can be a real fleshly desire of us to say, God, we want to see miracles. And I know that we have a miracle-working God, but I'm going to tell you, that miracle in and of itself is not going to change someone's spirit. That's a choice that they make in their heart. Matthew chapter 12, verse 39, says, But Jesus replied, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is a sign of the prophet Jonah. Let me tell you what Jesus is saying here. 
God is so much more than just proving his evidence to you. He's going to prove his evidence by you following out after what he asks and allowing him to change you. So what God is doing is he's looking to see if you will prove yourself as faithful as he has already proven to be faithful. Are you going to just get what you're after from God and then go live your life? Or are you going to consistently seek and follow him? See, what Jesus was seeing at that time, he was already seeing people who were following him just based off the miracles. Perform more of those. Do more of that. Let's see some more signs. And it's not going to be from a statement of belief after a miracle occurs. It will be from a lifetime of service and obedience that people will find themselves in the kingdom of God one day. Are you hearing me, church? I want to be very clear on this because God, I'm still having problems. God deals with matters of the heart. And God cares about your heart. Anyone can say they believe in God, but what does their heart reveal? What does their heart reveal? Jeremiah 17, 9. Listen to this. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So you and I, we can make grand statements about our love of God and we can have the best intentions in a given moment when God has done something miraculous in our life. But what happens when it doesn't remain? When it doesn't stay consistent? When I pastored in Waterloo, I had this youth pastor that I can count probably up to 50 times where he said, this is the greatest day of my life. Now, I had to eventually start drawing conclusions on the statement, this is the greatest day of my life. So either this day trumped the last day, and every time you have said that, it has trumped the previous time, that it was the greatest day of your life, or you have a short memory, or that statement really doesn't mean all that much. And ultimately, I could look at him and know that, no, dude, this is not the greatest day of your life. I've had, I've had much better days than this, but I'm proud that you're excited about today. But he was revealing his heart in the moment that he was excited. And I want to say that even though I could look at his life and say, no, this, this isn't the greatest day. You, you've had greater days. I mean, you have two beautiful children. You have a lovely wife. You've had better days. And I want to say as, as fickle as our heart can also be, God knows mankind and he particularly knows you. He knows you. He knows your secrets. He knows your behaviors. And he knows the heart of who you really are. There are men and women that they have proven to have great hearts, but Jesus makes this statement because it's an indictment on humanity as a whole, and we can be fickle. So I want you to please hear this and, and take this as a warning that we might guard our hearts in everything that we do, and we will not just be after God for those wow, ah moments, but we will take him at his word, who he is and who he asks us to be. Can I get an amen? Don't get too high with the high and don't get too lows with the lows. But follow him.
based off his finished work on the cross. The next statement, the next truth about belief, Jesus deals with Nicodemus saying, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is really struggling with this. I want to tell you something about this teacher, Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a respected Jewish teacher. But it, 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 it said, that the devil's in the details here in John chapter 3, because what we read is that Nicodemus didn't want anyone to see him going and asking Jesus questions, so he went in the dark. He didn't want anyone to notice what he was doing. But this is a guy who had studied and known God's word, and he decided he's going to start asking Jesus these questions because he's curious about who he is. And Jesus talks about, you must be born again. And we already know where Nicodemus' mind went because he said it. But Jesus is speaking specifically about a spiritual rebirth. Ultimately, this is the crux of the issue we're dealing with. Jesus is saying, if you want to go into the kingdom of God, this is a necessary step that you're going to have to take. And so Jesus uses this phrase, you must be born again, which also translates to born from above. Nicodemus as a teacher, as someone who studies God's word and took everything so far in God's word very literally, is interpreting this as, Jesus is saying I must be born again. What, do you expect me to go back into my mother's womb? Which is a, a terrifying thought, right? I, I can't remember my birth. I'm thankful I can't remember my birth. But I witnessed my children's births. And I personally don't want to experience that again, okay? I'm not interested. And we know that's not what Jesus is talking about. But I can understand Nicodemus' confusion because they have not been taught to look at things through the eyes or through this spiritual lens. Jesus goes on further by saying, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you've been born of water and spirit. Now there's two things here. Water, what we find throughout the New Testament particularly, is water represents the word of God and following out after the word of God. But the spirit, Jesus is specifically saying about, about the work of the Holy Spirit within us. And we established that early on in this series, John chapter 1, verse 33, that John baptized with water, as Jesus referenced, and Jesus said he'll baptize in the Spirit. And acceptance of Jesus Christ, when you say, I choose to believe in Jesus Christ, I choose to believe in his death, I choose to believe in his resurrection, what we are doing is we are then opening the door for the Spirit of God to come inside of us, fill us, and change us. That's the work of Jesus Christ. He ushers in the Holy Spirit into your life to bring you that spiritual revival. What happens is your eyes then become open to the spiritual realm. Through the work of the Spirit, He causes you to understand His Word and focus on things that really matter for eternity's sake. And church, this is what's going to bring true change in your life. It's not the miracle. It's not him filling your bank account. It's by being obedient to him and following him. 
and have a life completely devoted to God. See, you were once born physically, but now at this time of rebirth that Jesus is talking about, you're going to be born spiritually. So what I want to tell you is, God created you for this purpose. He created you for this purpose. It is so easy for us to focus on what we can taste, touch, see, smell, and hear. And it's so easy to say, God, I want, I want anything tangible you can give me. And God is looking at you and saying, I have given you everything you need through my son, Jesus Christ. And so God, what he wants to do, he does want to bring about this birth in your life, this spiritual birth, so that you can start thinking differently and you can adjust the pattern of your life after his ways instead of the world's ways, which is that physical part. Some of you may wrestle with this lifelong struggle of why were you born or why you're here. And maybe it, it, it stems from parents that didn't, didn't demonstrate love to you. Or maybe you, you have looked over the course of your life and you say, the circumstances that I've been dealt have been awful and I can't find God in any of this. So I just, I, I just have a hard time accepting all these things. Why would God have purpose for me if I have to go through all these things? And I want to tell you, no matter whether or not you were a planned pregnancy, the Lord planned it. And make no mistake, you are sitting here receiving this message because God is much more concerned about your eternal life than your current physical life. You guys hearing me? He created you and he purposed you to be born into this world and God's original intent that we would commune with him regularly. Guess who messed that plan up? We did. He created Adam and Eve to live life with them, walk with them, have intimate conversations with them, but yet they chose sin. And the result is sin brings about death. And as you and I know, death is a natural, physical part of our lives. Not a single person can escape it. But if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are born again. You are born into this rebirth of a spiritual awakening, and your spirit will never die. That is what Jesus is talking about. Our sin brings a divide between us and God. Jesus Christ bridges that divide, opening the door for God to commune with his creation once again. So by you opening that door and saying, I choose to follow Jesus Christ, you are saying, bring a spiritual birth to me. May I understand the things of the Spirit. And God, may I commune with you daily. That's what God wants. So I, a word of caution for you. Don't make assumptions about God based off current or past circumstances. God is more concerned with your spiritual well-being. And he knows because of the nature of sin that you're going to have a difficult life. You are going to face trials. But if you cling to this hope in him, if you guard your heart, then you will be a part of his kingdom. And that's the reason you were created. That's the reason you were made. 
Because the very last thing that Jesus talks about in belief is the fact that we will escape judgment. Who here has ever been to court before? Who has ever feared the ruling of a judge? Okay, so we got a few in the room. And so Jesus talks about this idea of judgment and the fact that if you choose to believe in him, we are going to escape that judgment. That sounds welcoming. That sounds like something I want to be a part of. He emphasizes that belief in him, it saves you. You escape. The most popular verse ever quoted out of Scripture is contained right here. We read it, John 3.16. But I love the verse that follows it, John 3.17. John 3.17 says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. But here I want you to listen to John chapter 5, verses 26 through 27. It says, the father has life in himself, and he has granted the same life-giving power to his son. And he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the son of man. So we're reading these two scriptures, and we're like, pastor, these two things seem a little in conflict with one another. And I'm going to explain to you why they don't. Because we read this and we think, is Christ a judge or is he not? Because if he came not to condemn the world, but to save it, but yet he's a judge. God, with all purpose and intent, sent Jesus to the world to save it. And you and I are a product of what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. We're sitting here. Now the world is going to be judged. Jesus Christ is going to return for his people. And anyone who believes on him will escape that judgment. But make no mistake, at the end of it all, Christ is going to judge the world. That is a part of who he is. Now that wasn't the reason why he was sent. He was sent to save you and I. And I don't know about you, but I want to be saved from that judgment. But here's the other thing that I know. Just because I can read that verse and say I'm not going to be judged one day doesn't mean I can just go doing whatever I want. You guys hearing me there? We can't just do whatever we want. Don't you hate when you know you're being watched? Whether you're at work or whether you were in school or maybe your neighbors are constantly watching what you're doing, they're creeps. <laughs> Imagine you were at work and there's a security camera pointed right at your desk, right? No one else has a security camera, but you better believe your desk does. And it can seem like there are people in your life or authorities in your life that are just waiting for you to fail. And I know that the pressure of that can feel great. But what we learn about God is God, even though he sees everything, he knows everything you're doing, he wants to walk with you. Are you hearing me? He wants to walk with you. He wants you to run to him. He doesn't want you to be ashamed and hide in your sin. He wants you to openly confess it and run to him and know that he sent his son whose blood covers that sin so that you can walk in freedom. Because the reality is, and I want you to hear me on this, 
We all deserve to be judged by God. We all deserve judgment. All of us in our lifetime before Christ loved more darkness than light. And that darkness, for, for those of you that don't understand the metaphor, the darkness is sin, and you and I, we are prone to sin. It is so natural for us to just sin. We know that all men fall short of the glory of God and love the world and choose evil. And Jesus teaches this in Matthew chapter 5, that only God is good. We are inherently evil, and we are inherently evil because we choose sin. That's what, that's what Jesus Christ is trying to illustrate. And only God is good, and if you want to be good, you're going to be obedient to what God is asking. If anyone ever says, oh, he's a good guy. Without God, he's not. Let's be real. I'm no one special. It's only my God that's perfect. And I say, if you operate in a manner of your life that you recognize you are not perfect, and you are surrounded by a bunch of other people who recognize they are sinful pe people, they are, they are not perfect, but they are pursuing a perfect God. They're wanting to be a perfect, uh, like a perfect God. Those, that's who I want to be around. And I'm going to tell you, that message also preaches to the non-believer because it doesn't matter what you've done. Hold on. I've done some pretty bad things myself. There are times I felt undeserving to be right here. But the reality is, I'm not standing here under my own authority and power. I'm standing here under the authority and power of Jesus Christ. And so you and I, we have this opportunity to enter into that freedom, escape judgment because of the blood of Jesus Christ. See, belief, to round this off, belief is not just an acknowledgement of him. Belief is trusting he is exactly who he says he is. I can believe in a miracle that he's done where I can believe that every word out of his mouth is truth. And if it's truth and I know the ramifications of it, then I need to follow it. No one else ever on the face of the earth proved themselves to be worthy of the kingdom of God but Jesus Christ. And so for us to have this true belief, it isn't just a statement that we make with our mouths. It isn't a status that we might fit somewhere in society. It's an investment of our lives. It's putting everything you have into following out after him because he and he alone can save your soul. That's belief. And I can't help, Brian, if you could come and just pluck something. I can't help but think about a time in my life when I was questioning everything. But the biggest question that was on my mind is none of this is just circumstantial. This is intelligent design with a purpose that I'm living, breathing communing with you.
that man can do the things man has done. Because we have a creator we were designed after. With a specific purpose that he can spend life with you. And for you and I, it comes down to ultimately choice. Whether or not we want to choose to believe. Or if we're just going to live life. You know what? If you want to live life, I'm sure you can go out there and do the world into the world and do some pretty great things. But those things aren't going to last. One day, your funeral's going to come. Yes, you're going to die. You like everyone else in this room. Your funeral's going to come, and people are going to have to move on. I wasn't created for just that. You weren't created for just that. You were created for true life, being born of the Spirit, where God instills in you His true calling that you might commune with Him and live with Him for eternity's sake. That's why I serve. And it's selfish, and that's good. I want to be with God in eternity. You should desire the same thing. I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to invite the prayer altar team to come. I just need a few of you. In Mark chapter 9, there's a demon-possessed boy that the father wants to see healed. And he goes up to Jesus and says, can you do this? And Jesus is appalled because he's, he's looking at the unbelief of the man. And Jesus questions whether or not he believes he can do it. And the man says, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. There are things that are almost impossible for you to grasp. God, why this? God, why did you do that? God, why do you demand this out of me?